Greetings Stay Frosty Parkrunners. Welcome to the 23rd edition of the Stay Frosty Parkrun podcast. I'm your host, Emu, and I'm going to be here for about the next 20 minutes or so to talk about training for longer runs. I'm also going to be announcing this week's star parkrunner, my featured parkrunner of the week, upcoming anniversaries, and of course, letting you all know how we got on in our parkruns this week. So, let's crack on. This week, with the New Year's resolutions fresh in our minds, if you've made any, and upcoming events like the London Marathon, I felt it would be an opportune moment to have a look at training for those longer runs and incorporating parkrun into your training. The longest distance I have ever run continuously, i.e. with no walking breaks at all, is just over 10 kilometres, or about 6 miles. I did once complete a half marathon many moons ago, but I was frustrated at the time because I injured myself a week or so before the event, which meant that I spent a large portion of it walking and made my injury worse. Anyway, lamentations aside, I'd love to try a half marathon again, hopefully without any injuries this time. So this year I've entered a few 10k runs to get my miles up and improve my stamina. Jay has joined me in this, as well as my sister Nikki. Starting with training for the 10km run, from a personal perspective I would say that if you're currently only running 5km at your local park run, then it's time to up your mileage. You can do this by adding a run or two midweek in between your park runs, or, what I've seen some people do, run to and or from your local park run, or continue running an additional lap or two, depending on how many laps you need to complete your 5k, at the end of your park run. To give you an idea, if you do two laps at your local park run at about 15 to 20 minutes a lap, then by adding an extra 15 to 20 minutes on the end, that means you will have done uh, 7.5 kilometres. It also gives you some valuable experience when it comes to pacing yourself. If you always run 5 kilometres, you get used to your speed and energy levels for that distance. By varying your distance, some quicker 3 kilometre runs or some slower 8 kilometre runs for example, you'll become more adaptable and be able to adjust to suit the distance you're aiming for. If you have never done a 10 kilometre run before in your life, I would suggest working up to it slowly, either by doing 10 kilometres with walk breaks in the middle, as many as you need, then try to reduce them as your fitness improves, or by starting with a distance that you know you can run, like 5 kilometres, and then adding a little bit to the end each time you run. If you've never run, a b- run at all before, I would say aim for the 5 kilometre first, and it's a good excuse to try your local park run, and then progress from there. There are, as always, numerous articles online with various tips and advice for training routines, but I'd caution that the overriding thing to be aware of is your own body. If you're pushing yourself too hard, you won't enjoy it and you may be more likely to injure yourself. Last-minute entries to 10km races are all very well, even if it's for a good cause, but you shouldn't be doing it at the expense of your own health. If you are in the position of having entered a 10km run and you have left the training until the last minute, then I would suggest getting in a few practice runs of 10km with regular walk breaks throughout, and actually do the same on race day. You might not be the quickest competitor in the field, but this way you'll still be able to complete it without hurting yourself. One of the sites with a variety of suggested training plans is VeryWellFit.com, who cater for beginners to more advanced runners looking to improve their times. Although I agree with most of their advice, especially the part about training for longer runs to get better results, I feel like you can get away with less than they recommend as long as you're prepared to take a little easier on race day. 
The thing which puts a lot of people off, myself included, is the number of hours they recommend you run during the week. I feel you can get to the point of being able to run 10 kilometers without the need to do training runs five out of seven days of the week. That being said, of course, if you're wanting to get a fast time, you need to put in more time to your training. It's a classic example of what you put in is what you get out. Very Well Fit also reminds us that cross-training is a very good idea to build up strength and help prevent injuries. All the sites I'm mentioning, by the way, will once again be on my Facebook page for you to refer to them afterwards or continue your own research into a specific distance. Other training guides include a variety of interval and tempo runs, which means quick short bits and running at your mid-effort pace consistently. This is a good idea too, but when these schedules are based around running 400 metres at one pace then switching to 1,000 metres at a slower pace, they seem to forget that most people don't live near an accessible running track. Even if you have a great GPS device on your arm or wrist, I personally find it very distracting to always be checking my distance on it. That's why I personally prefer to take on a running schedule or a training schedule sorry, that's based on running for set periods of time. It's easier to hear an alarm on your watch beeping or an alarm that you've set beeping than it is to peer at a screen whilst you're on the move. At the moment, I'm not following any specific training plan, but I am varying my runs by knowing where on my route the Strava segments are. A Strava segment is a distance which has been saved either by yourself or another runner who also uses Strava. If it's not saved as a private segment, it means that you can compete with anyone else on Strava who has run the same segment in the same direction. I found my closest one by accident, but once I knew where it was, I found myself making an extra effort when I'm running it to try and move myself up the results table. I was really pleased when I managed to top the women's table for the segment. I'm still 8th overall, but I think I can shave a few more seconds off my time. And this way, I naturally do a little interval training because I speed up for just over 600 metres of my run every time I go through this particular segment. As usual here, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, so I'm going to pull it back now to the training for a 10km race. If you want to move up from running 5km, a 10km race is a great way to start. Keep your training varied, and if you have time, also do some cross-training, as mentioned. Don't overwork yourself, and listen to your body. Even if you don't go as fast as you would have liked in the actual 10km run, there'll be other opportunities to improve your time at a future date. With all that in mind, let's move on now and have a look at some of the half marathon training plans. At 13.1 miles or 21.1 kilometres, a half marathon is a little over double a 10 kilometre run. Runner's World states in one of its articles, if you can do a 10k, you can do a half. It does, however, qualify this by going on to say that it's a big step for those who are completely new to the distance. The article goes on to answer some more questions about taking on the half marathon distance, including one definitely worth a mention, which is what to do if you get injured during your training schedule. First and foremost, never run through an injury. Depending on where the injury is, it may be possible to cross-train so that you're not putting any additional stress on the injury, e.g. by cycling or swimming. That way you will retain your fitness level without making the injury worse. I would personally add, again, that depending on the injury, some gentle runs once the injury is healed enough is also okay, but if you're in any doubt whatsoever, go and talk to your GP or your doctor or physiotherapist if you have one. Runner's World has the following tips when it comes to adhering to a training plan. So if you're unable to run for one week, simply rejoin the schedule where you left off. 
If you can't run for two weeks, you should repeat the last week you did and then continue. If you can't run for three weeks, you should go back two or three weeks in your schedule and pick it up from there as you will have lost a little bit of fitness. And if you're unable to run for four weeks or more, then you should reassess your target time for your half marathon, if you had a target in mind, and aim for a slower finish. Your health should definitely be prioritised above a new personal best time. Completing the run will still give you a sense of satisfaction, even if you weren't quite as quick as you were hoping. A lot of the training plans on offer for half marathons, and as you will see marathons too, are based around what kind of overall time you're aiming for. The key here is to be realistic. If you've never run a 10k in under an hour, it might be a bit foolhardy to attempt a sub 2 hour half marathon. Look at the training plans on offer and make sure you'll be able to fit it in around your lifestyle. Much more so than for the 10k run, half marathons are about putting in the hours. You need to get your body used to running constantly for that sort of distance, whatever your speed might be. Runner's World again has a lot to say about running a half marathon, but a few tips that really resonated included making sure that you're regularly running 15 to 20 miles or 24 to 32 kilometers per week before you get going with your training schedule. Nearly all your runs should be at an easy pace, slow enough that you can speak in sentences. Going too fast, too far, too soon, no lyric intended, is a common mistake of first-timers which can lead to burnout or injury. By incorporating hills into your regular training, you'll be build leg muscle and lung power. Start with a sort of 60-second hill, and then as this gets easier, challenge yourself with longer or steeper hills. I think these resonated with me in particular because they make perfect sense, but I'm not currently doing any of them. But then, I'm not currently training for a half marathon at the moment. The Booper Half Marathon Running Programme also reminded me how important it is to be able to analyse your own running effort. They actually use a scale from 1 to 10, and you can pick whatever, whatever suits you, where 10 is the maximum effort you can put into a run, and is usually only sustainable for a minute or less, and 1 is standing still, i.e. no effort at all. It's good to test yourself at these different paces so you know what they all feel like. If you start your training schedule and think you're doing an easy run, a 6 or a 60%, when you're actually doing a tempo run, 8 or 80%, you might be wondering why you're always running out of energy or air and get demotivated. I'd say it's much better to run the whole distance or the whole time, depending on your training schedule, and finish feeling like you could have done more or gone faster than it is to give up halfway round. For a final thought on the half marathon training, don't forget about your kit, especially your shoes. According to onrunning.com, you are likely to go through at least two pairs of running shoes before you even get to the start line. For all the regular listeners out there who caught my barefoot running podcast a few weeks ago, you'll know that you shouldn't always take running shoe advice as fact. Work out which pair or pairs work for you and wear them for as long as they are comfortable. They certainly don't have to be expensive to be good. In fact, studies have sometimes shown the opposite. And they will, of course, eventually wear out, especially if you're covering more mileage in them. While I personally feel that you can wear running shoes longer than the manufacturers recommend, I understand that wearing shoes long past their best can result in injury. So the second that your shoes stop being comfortable, you can start transitioning to a new pair. That aside, back to the half marathon again, I do agree with onrunning.com's advice which says keep in mind the surface you'll be running on. If your race is on a hard surface like tarmac, then it's best to train on a similar surface and bear it in mind when you buy your new pair of shoes as well. 
Also, however comfortable they were in the shop, and no matter what the professionals do, you should not wear your brand new shoes straight out of the box on race day. By wearing them a week before the race, during your training, they'll still feel like new, but you'll know by then if there are going to be any issues with them at all. Your clothing choice will obviously be weather dependent, but it's a good idea to do some training runs in the clothes that you're planning to wear. Again, to make sure that nothing rubs or chafes on the longer runs. I have some running t-shirts, which I will happily run 5km in, but I know that a label or a seam would aggravate me if I tried to do 10km in them. In the half marathon training plan on Running Has on its website, they have quite a few cross-training sessions, but what I like about it is that they state it can be any sport which you do for more than 30 minutes and leaves you a bit sweaty or slightly out of breath. They also divide the schedule into three sections and mix up the sessions from week to week to keep it a little more interesting. And now I'm going to have a look at marathon training. So 26.2 miles or just over 42 kilometres is a serious distance. I've never run a marathon, race or in my own time, but it's definitely one on the bucket list for me. I think the biggest thing which puts me off is the amount of time and dedication needed to be able to train to run that distance. Jay and I both entered the ballot for the London Marathon and we would have given the training a good go if we'd had if we'd got in, but part of me was a little relieved that we didn't get in this year. When you look online, there are a lot of zero-to-hero training plans which take you from a non-runner all the way through to being able to run a marathon distance. The estimate for this is about 24 weeks or 6 months. This is one event where, however many times you've watched Run Fat Boy Run, it is inadvisable to leave too little time to train. Great film by the way, if you haven't seen it's definitely worth a watch. Women's Running recommends that if you're starting from no running at all, you should work your way up through the different distances, starting with 5km, park run again anyone, then 10km, half marathon and finally the full marathon. By doing it in stages like this you won't be tempted to do too much too soon and lose motivation or injure yourself. Women's Running breaks the training down into four sections. The first part is 0 to 5k, the second is 5k to 10k, the third 10k to half marathon and the fourth is half marathon to marathon. The nice thing about this is if you're already running 5k for park run for example you can probably jump straight into part two which is 5k to 10k. These training schedules are appealing because they include the cross training but it states they're optional up to stage four where you're going from half marathon to marathon. Runner's World says that most training plans are 16 to 20 weeks long, but I think these are the ones where your starting point is being able to run 20 to 30 minutes without too much trouble in the first place. They do, however, emphasise that as a first-time runner you should be aiming to complete the marathon and not shooting for a certain time. Great minds think alike, I guess, here. They then go on to include plans which vary depending on your target time. As I've said before, look at the different plans, ideally from a reputable running website, and pick the one which you feel best suits you and your lifestyle. It's no good attempting a training plan which you know you're not going to be able to complete before you've even started it. Runner's World also has some good FAQs, including what to do if you miss a session or two. It explains that most people are bound to miss a session or two during the training plan as life does tend to get in the way sometimes. It says, similar to before, depending on how many weeks you miss, you can pick up the training plan again or reassess your goal and aim for a slower completion time. It does also say, however, that you may have to postpone your marathon if you miss more than four weeks, as you might not be ready to complete that kind of distance in time. The advice is very similar for the ultramarathon. 
anything longer than a marathon, but generally starting at 50 kilometres, with a lot at about 50 miles or 80.5 kilometres. The most important element is building up the distance so your body can get used to it. They also recommend to get used to the distance, estimate your finishing time, then split the time over two consecutive days. So if you're thinking of finishing in six hours, then you could run three hours on the Saturday and three hours on the Sunday, or four hours on the Saturday and two hours on the Sunday. You'll need fuel and water when running these distances, marathons and half marathons for that matter as well. Running long training runs is a great way to practice your refueling and when you need to drink. It's a good idea to drink water before you become thirsty, but you need to find a balance. Too much and you'll give yourself a stitch and hinder yourself. Too little and it won't rehydrate you properly. (laughs) Practice running efficiently for long distances. Every redundant motion, an extra large arm swing or raising your feet much higher than you need to for the terrain, will be wasting energy and on these distances you need your energy levels to last. A good tip is to try and run as quietly as possible. I know there's a lot more information, including nutrition and differing options on how to train for the various distances, than I have covered here, but as I've said, I'm going to put all the links on my Facebook page so that you can continue looking at the training ideas for the distance you're aiming for. I'd also like to add a final word on tapering, which is something that all training schedules seem to include in some form or another. In your final week of training before the race, you actually want to take it easier and lessen the number of miles that you're covering to give your body a chance to build up your energy levels and be in the best condition possible for race day. The more miles you put into your training, the better your body becomes at storing food as ready-to-use energy, or glycogen, instead of fat reserves. The glycogen is your body's quick access energy which is used to keep you going. When your body runs out of glycogen, it starts to use your fat reserves, but the process for burning fat takes more time, so your performance will then suffer. Some people at this point may feel like they've hit the wall. By eating enough carbohydrates, you can make sure that your glycogen levels are at their maximum for race day, but they'll need to be topped up in the marathon and for longer distances. This won't be the case if you train too hard in the last week before your race, as you use up your glycogen every time you run and it takes time for your body to replace it. Interestingly, the GH training blog I looked at estimates that your body's maximum stored glycogen levels can probably get you to around the 18 mile mark of your marathon, which is why nutrition on the run is also important. Whatever distance you're planning to run, have a look at the links I've shared, look up more information of your own and read as much as you can to get a good cross-section of tips and advice so you can choose which one makes the most sense to you. With a one-hour run coming up in April, and always happy to experiment on myself, I borrowed the training schedule off the Adidas City Run website. It just happens to be nine weeks long, and I happen to have nine weeks left until the big day. I've gone for the intermediate one, as I've not yet done a 10km run in under an hour, let alone under 50 minutes. They were good enough to include parkrun on most Saturdays, but I have of course adapted it to place a parkrun on every Saturday, although I may volunteer after my 50th next week. I've not been great at sticking to training plans in the past, but I'll let you know how I get on with this one, which I've saved as a PDF, and will also be putting up on my Facebook page, so anyone who wants to can have a go. My aim is simple. On my previous two 10km runs, I've come within seconds of running under an hour. So for this one hour run, I'd like to run further than 10km. How much further? will undoubtedly depend on my dedication to the training plan, but further is my aim. And now, it gives me very great pleasure to introduce...
Ian Carpenter, regular runner at South Norwood Park Run and today completing his 100th run whilst volunteering as the tailwalker. Ian has done 57 park runs at South Norwood, 42 at Lloyd Park Run and one at Roundshaw Downs Park Run. Well done Ian, I hope I'm still park running when I'm in my 70s. If you know someone who has reached a milestone, done their first ever parkrun, managed to break through a time barrier to get a new PB, or any other noteworthy parkrun-related achievement, I'd love to hear about it. You can get in touch on the email, stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com, or on the Facebook page, simply search for Stay Frosty Parkrun. This week's featured parkrun is the Queen Elizabeth Parkrun in the South Downs National Park, north of Portsmouth. It's located in the Queen Elizabeth Country Park, Horndean. The surfaces are a mixture of gravel paths, forest trails and grass, and the course is an undulating one completed over two laps. There are toilets which open at 8am and a disabled toilet at the rear of the cafe which is open 24-7. Car parking charges apply all year round. To get there, you can catch a train to Petersfield, which is about 6 kilometres away, or you can use stagecoach buses. If you're driving, you want to follow the brown tourist signs from the A3. Although the information on transport is rather scant, they have gone into more detail regarding approach by foot or on bike. The Queen Elizabeth Country Park is located along three long-distance paths, South Downs Way, Staunton Way and Hangers Way. National Cycle Route 222 connects the park with Clanfield to the south and Petersfield to the north. Recently there have been around 11 to 15 volunteers at each event and runner numbers have been steady between roughly 75 and 125 with the exception of the 1st of January this year when they had 408 park runners turn up for the event. To date there have been 304 park runs here which makes the start date for this one the 18th of May in 2013. Thinking in terms of our parkrun alphabet now, this is our closest queue, which does place it firmly on the list of parkruns to do, even if it seems like it might be a little tricky to get to without a car. And that noise means it's time for the parkrun special events. In the lead-up to Valentine's Day, there are a few parkruns celebrating their anniversaries. Excuse my pronunciation on this one, but the Lanarkshiron parkrun in Wales will be celebrating their first anniversary as they started the 10th of February 2018. Dolgelau parkrun and Ludlow parkrun will be celebrating their third anniversaries as they both started on the 13th of February in 2016. It's an upcoming fourth anniversary for Hockley Woods Park Run, who started on the 7th of February in 2015. Penrith Park Run will be celebrating their fifth anniversary. They started with their first event on the 8th of February in 2014. Newbury Park Run started on the 11th of February in 2012, which makes this their seventh anniversary. And finally, Frimley Lodge will be celebrating their ninth anniversary. They started up on the 13th of February in 2010. Congratulations and happy birthday to all the park runs with an anniversary coming up. And finally for this week, it's on to our own park run adventures. 
Nicky ran at barking this week, and Jay and I decided to go in search of a new letter, and we found it in the form of a V, and more specifically at Victoria Dock Parkrun. Nikki battled a chilly wind to finish as the first female in the time of 24 minutes and 33 seconds. Not a PB, but still quick enough to give her just over 60% on her age grading, so well done Nixie. Jay and I made our way over to Victoria Dock, where a thin, crispy layer of ice had settled on the astroturf, which we weren't running on luckily. There was one icy patch which we both slid on during the first kilometre, but avoided on the way back, and apart from that, conditions were cold, but good underfoot, seeing as it was all tarmac, and good enough for a decent run time. Jay completed the course in his fastest ever time of 26 minutes and 23 seconds and pushed himself to the point of not being able to go quite as quickly as he normally would on his finished sprint, but he ran the whole five kilometres, so he was very pleased with his time indeed. I'd estimate that I managed to maintain roughly a sort of 75% effort and even had a little bit left in the tank to accelerate at the end when I heard someone running up behind me. I held my position, finished 48th out of 102, and got a new overall PB time of 25 minutes and 28 seconds, which I'm also very happy with. Now I have a new time to aim for at South Norwood. Next weekend will be my first milestone in the form of my 50th park run. It's also going to be a little bit of a tribute on what would have been my granddad's 90th birthday. Jay and I will be running at South Norwood, and hopefully the weather won't result in a cancellation. Next week, I'm going to be doing a podcast that I know Jay will appreciate. I'm going to be looking at all the flattest park runs in the country, the ones where you can really push yourself for that new quickest ever five kilometres. But for now, I hope you've all had brilliant park runs this weekend, even if it was just a tad cold. I hope you all have a great week, and thank you very much for listening. Stay frosty, park runners, and I'll see you all next week. (laughs) 